Our beer of the week this week is Corona. And it's Corona because the Panthers are going to be the kings of the NFC South this season. Hopefully that take doesn't come to bite us in our butt. But this is Perfect Takes. I'm Stephen Patton, your host, joined by my co-host and friend, Jacob LaCroix. We're going to be breaking down the NFC South. We saved it for last because we find it fond and dear to our hearts because of the Carolina Panthers. And we'll start in order in which the we play these teams. And we'll, that means we're starting in Atlanta. Yep, we're going to be playing Atlanta in Atlanta week one. And I think we all know what happened the last time Bryce was in that stadium. Uh, but I digress. I think we're going to get a, a good look at the Falcons nice and early. And uh, I'm looking forward to see if Ritter... Uh, if he's just as bad as Mariota was last year, or if he can improve just a little bit. Even with Ritter and his faults or highs and lows, the Falcons have spent a lot of top 10 picks the past couple seasons on weapons for Ritter to hand the ball off or throw to. They spent a fourth overall pick on Kyle Pitts three years ago, Drake London two years ago with the eighth pick, and Bijan Robinson with the eighth pick this past year. And I think all three of those guys can really insulate whoever the QB is and really make up one of the more dynamic and athletic trios of skill position players across the entire league. Which exactly fits what Arthur Smith is trying to do. He loves having a balanced approach, and he showed that last year with a 58% pass rate out of 11 personnel and a 52% pass rate out of 12 personnel. It was 46 in 21 personnel, but there's a lot of people that tend to run more in 21 rather than 12 and 11. And I think with Bijan and Matthew Bergeron, those two additions, the team's going to operate a lot better in 12 and 21, which should open up the passing game even more and hopefully give Ritter more open targets to throw to throughout the year. Yeah, I thought Ritter had a pretty good chance of being an NFL QB coming out of Cincinnati a couple years ago. You know, he was the quarterback when they were the 12-0 and Cincinnati team that made the college football playoff, first uh, G5 team to ever make the playoff, and then it just kind of fell flat there. I thought his biggest issue coming out of Cincinnati was his consistency. He would make really good, really smart plays, like on first and second down, and then on third down, he would just dirt the ball or throw it behind the receiver. And it wasn't always third down where he would do that, but it just seemed like every four to five downs, something was just off. And looking at the four starts he had last season, it seems like that problem didn't really improve. And we, we kind of joke, and I know we hate the Falcons a good bit, and we kind of joke on Twitter where they hide their QB in a lot of their posts. Like you never see uh, when the DB was making picks in training camp, you would never see who threw him the ball. Smitty yeah. got on some of those Falcons accounts. He was like, why aren't you showing the quarterback? We know who's yeah. throwing the ball there. <laughs> Hashtag show that QB. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that Ritter has drastically improved in camp and pre like granted it's still preseason and stuff, but I wouldn't say he's improved upon the mistakes that I was hoping for. And I'm guessing the Falcons brass was hoping for coming into a second year. Absolutely. And if Ritter doesn't pan out, I think a lot of questions start surrounding how they built this team up, that you wasted resources with Pitts and Bijan from a position standpoint. You used top 10 picks on non-premium positions, and you passed on guys like Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell, Patrick Sertan in 2021. And their secondary, I mean, if you had another lockdown corner besides A.J. Terrell, like you're taking strides on that side of the ball. 
And then this past year, you you pass on Jalen Carter and Christian Gonzalez, two guys that could have bolstered kind of your defensive line or your back end. And it's one of those things that you're not getting as much value as you could be. And you could be spending kind of some of the free agent money that they have on tight ends and running backs. So a lot of this stems from the fact that Arthur Smith, he was an offensive assistant to Mike Munchak and Ken Wisenhunt. And that was before he became an offensive coordinator for Mike Vrabel. He, he loves running heavier personnel sets. He was a tight ends coach with Tennessee, and that had a major influence in drafting pits. But you can't let some of those personal biases impact how you build a team. And I think that's what happened here in Atlanta. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I had Bijan, I think, as the third best player coming out of this past draft. He's an excellent talent, but they were already a pretty good running game this past year. I believe uh, Tyler Algier last year as a rookie had over a thousand yards. They had Caleb Huntley, who was a rookie who did well. Cordero Patterson, he was in and out and he's getting up there in age, but he was still effective when he was on the field. I get taking uh, Bijan and Pitts as the extreme athletes and high ceiling guys. But like you said, uh, I think the value may not have been there. But at least on the offensive line the past few years, they have invested high draft picks and high uh, free agent contracts or extensions. But I wouldn't say that that unit inspires as much confidence as as being portrayed when it comes to how much they're spending on them. Yeah, you have Jake Matthews. I think you just extended Chris Lindstrom this offseason. I, I get the vibes of like the Packers defense when I look at the Falcons offensive line. So the Packers defense, they have seven first round picks on their defense, but it's not a top 10 unit. And it's kind of the same thing here with the Falcons. I know there's a lot of different grading scales that do have the Falcons as a top 10 unit. But when we're looking at ESPN pass block and run block win rate, they're they're below average. And so I, I'm not exactly understanding the offseason hype and praise, especially when Jake Matthews, Caleb McGarry, Chris Lindstrom and Dude Dahlman all played over 99 percent of the offensive snaps last year. So, yes, you're throwing Matthew Bergeron in there. You have a solid starting five. But if you start losing some of those guys to injury, they don't really have the depth. And like I said, they were behind the Panthers and Saints in some win block um, categories. And so when you don't have the best offensive line, you're relying on some of these offensive skill players and you're half baked on the defensive side of the ball in terms of the pieces that you have, it makes it really hard to make a push for a division title, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think the uh, the damning stat there is that those four linemen outside of Bergeron all played 99% or more of the offensive snaps last season, and they finished below uh, halfway in both pass block and run block win rate, 19th and 25th respectively. So it's kind of like how much better can they get? Like I, I know Bergeron was a high pick and a lot of people liked him. He, he I wasn't like a huge fan of him, but he was definitely like a top 100 player. Uh, it's just like how much better can they be, I guess is how I would put it for the, uh, the O-line. But Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely like if think, we've already uh, kind of seen their ceiling in terms of, hey, this is the group and we, we've thrown them out there for 17 full games, like that's that's probably the best you're going to get. Yeah, and I do think that the, both the Panthers and Saints have better O-lines, and we'll get to that when we get to those teams. But uh, in regards to the Falcons' defense, it doesn't have nearly the amount of early draft capital invested into it the past couple of years, but they did invest a lot of money in that defense this past year. They did. Uh, this past year, yeah, past offseason, in first year cash, I believe it came just over $66 million for 
like the impact defenders. I know there are probably a couple of vet men's in training camp. Deals our our threshold well. for this was that they, they signed a deal worth $2 million or more. So yeah. it kind of takes out your vet men guys. These are, these are guys that are plugging in and probably starting. Yeah. So like Jesse Bates got that huge payday, 23 mil and first year cash. They bring over uh, Anya Mata from the Saints, Caden uh, Ellis from the Saints as well. They signed Calais Campbell from the Ravens, who was still pretty effective last year. I believe he was one of the four guys back in the Ravens episode where we were talking about had more than five, five or more sacks. I believe he was one of them. They bring yep. in Lorenzo Carter, uh, Mike Hughes, and Bud Dupree also on that uh, defensive line. So a ton of money spent on defense this past offseason, whereas two years ago, they didn't really spend anything. So it was good to see that they really invested in shoring up that defense, which was not good at all last year. Yeah, no, it was it was abysmal last year. You bring in a new defensive coordinator. You kind of rebolster a lot of units, whether it's the D-line or the secondary. But that defensive line, like all of their starters are over 30 years like of age. Like Calais Campbell, 36. David Onyemata, 33. Grady Jarrett, 30. Bud Dupree, 30 all on the back end of their careers. And the only young promising player you have on that defensive line is a third round pick out of Ohio state in Zach Harrison and great addition. He can set the edge and play until the whistle blows, but he can be a little slow. So trying to get like some edge presence, somebody who can really get after the quarterback. That's what I'm struggling to see on this defensive line. And if quarterbacks can just sit back and kind of tear you apart, that, that back end isn't necessarily loaded with superstars. AJ Terrell is good. Jesse Bates is good. But there's still a lot of questions around Jeff Okudo. Is Mike Hughes a good slot? Stuff like that. And it's it's a little concerning. Yeah, that uh, the young talent on the defensive line and the kind of the second level is kind of lacking. I agree. They do have Troy Anderson, a linebacker from Montana State that was drafted last year. I'm really big on him. He had I believe he had a 10.0 raw score. Uh, he, he just kind of did everything when he was in college. He was running back. He filled in for quarterback when they needed him to. And hopefully he'll take the leap. I really wanted the Panthers to draft him a couple years ago. But yeah, that, uh, that D-line is old for sure. And at least the secondary isn't as old as the D-line. You know, they bring in Bates. They trade for Akuda, Sign Mike Hughes to pair with uh, A.J. Terrell. But yeah. I'm still not sold on that secondary as a whole and the defense as a whole. And I think that Dean Pease retiring, granted, he wasn't like the superstar defensive coordinator last year, but he's been in the league a long time and he's called some good defenses in his day. And him retiring also kind of dampens my expectations for this defense as a whole. I like who they brought in, Ryan Nielsen. He was the Saints defensive line coach last season, and he got the most out of those guys. And if you're going to get the most out of this older defensive line, I feel like this is the guy to do it. But because he has been so heavily focused with more kind of the line play, how, how good is he in terms of coaching up the secondary? Does he have the right position coaches there to make sure that they're gelling? Because a lot of that's communication on the back end. And so that's, that's where you bring in guys that played with the Bengals and Lions last year. Some of them are familiar with each other. Do they gel? And I think if they gel and he gets the most out of the de defensive line, you're looking at an average group. And that's actually pretty solid. Like, I, I will be impressed if they get there. But it's one of those things a lot is riding on his shoulder in terms of how he can morph this defense into uh, a team that can push and, and be competitive in the NFC South. Yeah, I like that division, too, or addition, rather, too. 
And you see he brought in some of his guys like Anyamata and Caden Ellis. But I think historically, and you kind of talked about this, we've kind of seen that D-line coaches don't generally make the best of defensive play callers just because their focus has been on the D-line most of their career and just the trench. And they don't – I'm not saying that uh, Nielsen is like this, but they may not be able to see the whole field like a secondary coach or like a linebacker's coach. So I think that's going to be an interesting – kind of dynamic how he kind of calls the defenses this upcoming season for them. But as a whole, I like that addition. And I like what the Falcons have done overall this off season. I think the Falcons could or should maybe be the best team in the division. They brought in like now they were, I believe they were fourth last year in the division. So they would be worst to first. And they brought in a, a bunch of guys on defense, some uh, some really premium guys on offense. I think it's just really going to come down to Desmond Ritter's ability to mend the helm on offense. And uh, how is that expensive defense going to complement him? And really, can Ritter just be mistake-free, kind of operate like a Shanahan QB would, like just point and throw? and get the completion to the really superior athletes. Absolutely. And that's that's some of the knock that's been on Ritter is that sometimes his ball isn't as accurate to these guys that are out in open space. So they have to make an adjustment to make the catch. And at that point, you have a defender closing the gap. And all of a sudden, what could have been a 15, 20-yard gain is now like a 5, 10-yard gain. And some of those things that I think are, are going to wear on this offense throughout the season. And I don't think the aging veterans they added on defense is a huge needle mover. And I think they'll end up being the third best team in the division. I think that's fair. I think unless the Saints defense just falls off a cliff, this team is going to look good in certain points. But Ritter was a third round quarterback for a reason. He's slow in his processing and he's not necessarily the most accurate guy out there. And that's, that's going to wear on this team, whether they want to believe it or not in training camp. The narratives that are in August fade really quickly once you hit September, October. Fair enough. I just I think we all want to see a QB not overthrow Kyle Pitts, who's the best athlete at tight end ever, just overthrow him by like five feet. If Ritter can complete him the ball, I think we'll all be happy, even Panthers fans like us. But uh, going on to the next team, the team that you think is going to be a bit better, I'm still a bit uh, bearish on them, the Saints. We play them the very next week, week two, on Monday Night Football. That's actually our first home game. And uh, for some reason, we're not wearing black uh, jerseys and helmets that game, but it's neither here <laughs> nor there. We'll we'll get, uh, we'll get discuss that when we get there. But uh, the Saints are the odds-on favorite to win the division, and we're going to see them directly after that Falcons game. We actually haven't played in a Monday night football game since 2018 where we were playing the Saints. Oh. And that was a horrible, no. just a horrendous that was, game. That was the Bucks. What are you talking about? That was a Thursday was night Bucks? game. We, we were at that game. Oh, you're right. Game. Yeah, you are talking yeah. about the Saints. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. Thursday night. And you're right. Yeah, that Saints game ended 12 to 9. That was where McCaffrey threw the 50 yard touchdown to Chris Manhurts and Dante Jackson had the pick two. He picked off Breeze and ran it back during the two-point conversion. And uh, we lost that game to the Saints, and that was our last Monday night game. So hopefully we'll get some revenge this time. And kind of a, a good omen on our side is that as a franchise, we're actually 10-7 and seven in Monday night football games, and we've never lost consecutive Monday night football games. So history's on our side. Hopefully we should win this one. 
Absolutely. I am sorry for the mix up. I, I saw a week two in the notes and I was like, no, we played yeah. we played the Bucks on week two, but you're you're right about no, the Oh yeah, we were we was... were at that game. Remember it, there was like a, a storm warning. We had to stay inside the concourse and uh that was the last uh the last hurrah for Cam was that game. It, it that was. And the twelve to nine game, I I remember that being a slug fest. Cam's shoulder mm-hmm. was at that point gone. Chris McCaffrey threw the touchdown pass, which I think you talked about. So it's it's definitely been a while since we've had the Monday Night Lights, but we're hosting them here in Charlotte. And my my biggest thing is when we're looking at the Saints and they're coming to town is how much of an upgrade is Carr really the Andy Dalton? And that that's what's going to be like the resonating question, I think, throughout is that is he really that much of a needle mover? Is he a Kirk Cousins quarterback? I think Kirk Cousins is definitely better than Andy Dalton, but that's where I think he falls in between those two guys. And if he's not a difference maker, who will be that guy? You have skilled players on offense, Michael Thomas, who's been injury prone. And I mean, he'll start the year, but we'll see how far that goes. Alvin Kamara serving a suspension. And you have a lot of questions on both sides of the ball in terms of like age. They have a lot of older guys and you just wonder, is that going to hold together? Yeah. I, I definitely think Carr is a better talent than Andy Dalton at the respective points in their careers. But Andy Dalton had a sneaky good season for the Saints last year. I think he was top 10 in EPA and uh, EPA per play, rather. And he didn't really make a ton of mistakes. A lot of his interceptions were like deflections that would just end up in the defender's hands. So he had a, like a sneaky, like good year for the Saints. I think Carr's definitely better, but I don't know if he'll match that output and that efficiency. But uh, in addition to Carr, the Saints also brought in Jamal Williams and Kendra Miller, their draft pick from TCU. They can kind of help fill in while Kamara suspended to start the year. Uh, I think it's a three-game suspension, so we won't be seeing him in that Monday night football game. But my thing is, Kamara wasn't really great last year anyways he he wasn't like he was probably above average or average but he wasn't the Camara of old that was like scoring six touchdowns in a Christmas game you know or just bouncing off all the defenders so I like I I like the Jamal Williams addition but like I don't think Camara's like I don't think he's a needle mover like you were saying on offense Absolutely. And he was drafted in the 2017 draft with Christian McCaffrey. Zeke was taken the year before. We've seen with Zeke in recent years, him fall off a cliff, guys like Dalvin Cook. There, There is a running back age like curve, and he's starting to hit that. So exactly like you said, even if he comes back off that suspension, how much juice are you going to have? And I think the only hope you can really have in this offensive line, it's their offensive line. And they got average production out of a group that dealt with injuries all year last year. They uh, had Penning out for a while, Andrus Pete. And so when you have some of those starting five out, it kind of impacts your production. And even with that, they were an average group. So in my opinion, they'll be able to take a step and they could be a formidable starting five, allowing Derek Carr to kind of slice and dice through the defense, especially when you have a guy like Chris Olave on the outside. Yeah, I think Penning in particular is going to have to take the step. I know he missed a good chunk of his rookie year. So hopefully he's able to, uh, to really line up with the five that he's with and uh, get a succinct rhythm for his play. Uh, But like you said, I love Chris Olave. He's uh, one of my favorite receivers. I thought he was the best route runner in his uh, particular draft. Just one of my favorite young receivers. But outside of him, you're right. I don't have a ton of faith in the pass catchers. Uh, Michael Thomas is always a concern. 
I liked uh, Rashid Shahid and what he showed last year, but that was just kind of glimpses. He didn't really do it for the full year. And Jawan Johnson, he like quietly had a good year with Andy Dalton, but I don't know how he's going to mesh with Derek Carr. And those guys are the real other big receiving threats. So like you're saying, outside of Alave, just not a lot of faith in those receiving options. Yeah, if Jawan Johnson, it really was in terms of like just being in sync with Andy Dalton. They brought in uh, Foster Moreau from Las Vegas, mm-hmm. so I'm not I'm not too worried about the tight end position overall. Rashid Shahid, definitely a analytics darling last year, could take a step, and if he does take a step, having that one two punch with him and Olave would be perfect because, like you said, Michael Thomas until he plays and can actually show that he can stay on the field. Like I'm, I'm just gonna count him out. Like he'll play two weeks, he'll be on IR. That is what it is. And then the next thing to also consider, and he showed promises and glimpses in the preseason, is A.T. Perry. So if you can you can round out a young wide receiving group that's really good, Carr may be able to actually kind of produce. But again, these are all a lot of ifs. If, if the offensive line stays healthy, if Rashid Shahid and A.T. Perry take a step, and it's it's not... Not a lot of hope, I think, on this side of the ball. It just seems a lot, a lot of desperation and grasping to try to make the most of whatever window they feel like they have. Yeah, it's it's the classic Saints thing, just trying to stay above water instead of uh, rebuilding like they should. It's kind of similar on the other side of the ball as well. This is also an old defense that lost quite a few players and a position coach this offseason. The defensive line in particular, just like the Falcons, is old as hell. And they also lost their defensive line coach, Ryan Nielsen. He's now the defensive uh, coordinator in Atlanta. Yeah, it's an old defense. Like where I talked about the age of kind of the Atlanta Falcons starting defensive line, the Saints have five projected starters on the defense already over the age of 30. You have Cameron Jordan at 34, Demario Davis at 34, Tyron Matthew at 31, Marcus May and Bradley Roby are also over 30. And then Nathan uh, Shepard. Let me interject real quick. It is cut day. We're recording on a Tuesday. Saints cut Bradley Roby as well. Who was oh, one of their okay. So, starters. yeah. Well, there you go. So, even a guy that was projected to be a starter, I'm guessing there was probably some injury happening. He is older as a cornerback. So, maybe mm-hmm. they're thinking they can get a guy out of a late draft pick they've had or um, undrafted. They have, they have, they some, they have some good young corners that can compete, I think, at, uh, for the nickel spot. Absolutely. And if you have that, you already have Lattimore and Lattimore is under 30. So I'll give them that they do have a star on the back end. And that does open a lot of things up in terms of how Dennis Allen can kind of scheme things. Nathan Shepard, they brought in, he'll turn 30 during the regular season. He's an interior defensive line presence, which they need because you lose David Onyemata, Shai Tuttle, Marcus Davenport, and you really don't bring in much to kind of fill in the gap. So it's kind of what are they doing on defense? Are they really going to be able to keep that unit performing above expectation like they have over the past couple of years. Yeah, for for the defensive line in particular, they have Cam Jordan, who's always the stalwart, right? He doesn't seem like he's slowing down anytime soon. Like you said, they bring in Nathan, uh, Nathan Shepard from the Jets. They brought in Kalen Saunders, I know, from the Chiefs. And then I believe Carl Granderson is going to start opposite of Cam Jordan. Other than Jordan, these are guys that are backups or rotation players that haven't seen like the uh, the full starting experience as much as uh, like the Saints D line that they just lost in Anumata Tuttle uh, Davenport. Now they did draft some young guys in uh, Brian Brzee and Isaiah Foskey. Hopefully those guys can become something. 
But yeah, I agree that this uh, the D line is an area of concern for me with the Saints. But I'm I'm actually kind of high on their secondary and their linebacking unit. Like I know Demario Davis and Taran Matthew are older, but they do have Lattimore. They do have some good young corners and Alante Taylor and uh, the guy from Stanford a couple years ago, Paulson Adebo, that should be able to compete for the corner two and nickel spot. So I think there they're going to be good, but I do think that D line is going to be the the crux, like the area of concern for them, especially after losing their position coach as well. But I do still like this defense better than the Falcons uh, as a whole. But yeah, th- that D line is still concerning. I mean, this was a team that finished dead last in pass, ru- pass rush win rate last year and then lost three players on the defensive line who played at least 40% of the defensive snaps. And it's not like they they let those guys go and they brought in these all-stars or they drafted a stud in like Tyree Wilson or somebody to pair with Cam Jordan. It was none of that. It, it, what they did was just like try to duct tape like a, a massive hole through the drywall. And it's just, that's not how you need to think about building a team. And while the saints are favored to win the division, I think the market just likes the addition of Carr, thinks he's a massive upgrade to Andy Dalton and expects their offensive line to bounce back. But I just, it's, it's hard for me to think that the defense is going to continue being productive on under Dennis Allen. When you think about all the pieces they've lost from that and how much older everybody's gotten. So we'll, we'll see. Um, they are the division favorites outside of winning a game in the playoffs. This team isn't deep enough to go toe to toe with Philly or Dallas right now. So to think this team could, could make one last stand just isn't a reality in the NFC as is now. So it's, it's win the division and then bust like that. That's, that's really it. I don't think this team could go toe to toe with any of the past NFC playoff hopefuls that we talked about. So Philly, Dallas, uh, Seattle, San Francisco, Detroit. I think all of those teams would run this this team off the field, to be quite honest. And something to think about. We're talking about how they didn't really bring in all stars on that D line or anything. You know, they traded away their pick, right, for Trevor Penning. That, that yep. ended up being their pick this year. Or maybe it was Olave. I don't remember which pick it was. Exactly a, it was. It, what turned into, in essence, Jalen Carter. Yeah, Jalen Carter, a guy that uh, would have been an all-star on their D-line. But it's just something to think about when they were, again, two years ago trying to tread water and win the division. Uh, ended up not – I think they came in third behind us and the Bucks, But, uh, it's, it's yeah, they're just, they're just trying to do everything they can to avoid a rebuild – but at what cost? Like, to do their ownership group and front office think that winning the division is a successful season for them? Is that like worth all the dead money, losing all these players, not bringing in a ton of premium talent like they did seven, what, 2017? So yeah, six, seven years ago. I would say no. I think they're. I think they got really lucky with that 2017 year and haven't really followed up with it. And I think they're. Being, like they're being punished for it. We saw Teron, Teron Armstead leave a couple years ago. Uh, their whole D-line basically had to leave this year. It's going to be interesting to see going forward who they're going to lose to the salary cap and just how they're going to try to rebuild from this. I think uh, even if they get lucky in a really bad NFC South this year, they're not going anywhere in the playoffs. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think 
the epitome of kind of what the NFC South overall feels like. I, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers echo that really, really well as they are deep within a rebuild. They are the last team in the division we play. The first time we play them is in week 13. So at the very top of December, what, what should we expect from this group? Uh, it's the word that they're not going to say, but we know they're doing it. It's a tank. All right. Like you said, we're seeing him week 13, but we're also going to see him the last game of the year in the regular season. We're going to actually be hosting them. So we're going to get a good look at the depths of their roster as they're probably going to be trying to lose that game. But uh, yeah, like we know what's happening here. It's, it's rough, especially when a couple of years ago you were hosting the Lombardi trophy. Um, but this past year they lose Tom Brady, Donovan Smith, Shaq Mason, Leonard Fournette, Keanu Neal, Akeem Hicks, Cameron Bray, and Scott Miller, all of whom played over 20% of the snaps last year. This offensive line is going to struggle to protect Baker Mayfield, who has one of the worst pressure of the sack rates already. And then the only premium talent you have on offense is Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who aren't getting any younger. So at the end of the day, if you thought the offense was unwashable, at times last year under Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich, just wait for the Baker Mayfield and Dave Canales pairing this fall because it's it's going to be immaculate. I kind of feel bad for Mike Evans, to be honest. He goes from the GOAT QB to now Baker. And as a whole, that uh, receiver room looks pretty similar to how it uh, was last season. I, In my opinion, Mike Evans is a Hall of Famer, a thousand yards in every season he's ever played in. It's really good all-around receiver. Chris Godwin is pretty good when he's healthy. But both of those guys aren't getting any younger, and they've both dealt with at least some injury concern the past few years. Godwin more than uh, Evans, that is. I would say at least they're moving on from uh, Leonard Fournette and giving Rashad White some run. But outside of him and Trey Palmer, who was a sixth-round pick, and he was my wide receiver six in the draft. I was super high on him. He's looked really good in the preseason, so – really uh, rooting for him to make the squad and uh, put up numbers this year. But outside of uh, Palmer and Rashad White, I don't think there's a lot to look forward to in the future regarding the offense on the team currently. I think uh, look, I think you can look forward to the Q- perspective QBs that they could be getting this year. But currently, I mean, you still, just you still have White Tristan worse. You have Tristan right. worse, but we'll, we'll touch on him here in a bit. I like the continuity with the group that you're talking about with the wide receivers. You, you have Evans, who, like you said, he's probably Hall of Fame bound, especially with how his career started. Godwin's great in the slot. And you have a couple of those young guys. You, you do have a couple skill weapons. I think this team's going to be a, a complete dumpster fire about halfway through the year. So we might actually see Evans get traded to a contender that needs somebody that can kind of push the perimeter. So we'll see if that plays out. But currently Tristan Wirfs, who I was praising a little bit ago, slides the left tackle this year. I think that was a mistake. I think if it's not broke, don't fix it. And he was an all pro at right tackle. Uh, we kind of Panther fans, you guys remember this. Uh, we had Taylor Moten at right tackle a couple years ago during the Matt Rule era, kicked Moten over to left tackle and Brady Christensen to right tackle for a game. Jacob was telling me about this game the other day, actually. And it was just, it was, it's kind of that knucklehead, scratch your head kind of situation. And you, you sometimes can't galaxy brain these things. If a, a player is good at playing a certain position, don't mess with that. Like it's it's not worth it doing this kind of whole reshuffling because you have Matt Filer, who is awful for the Chargers last year at left guard. Ryan Jensen is on IR again. So Robert Hansey, who filled in for him last year, is now the starting center. 
rookie and, Cody uh, Mock Jen, at it. And Jensen, uh, he might he might be done because uh, they put him on season-ending IR uh, a couple of days ago. He, he might be done for like for his football career as well. Yeah, no, the, the concern with his knee, which is still lingering from last year, is pretty much that this is this is career ending. So why he is going on IR, why he was signed to a three-year deal, it really is at this point that he, he's done. It, it canned, there is no coming back this year, probably ever. And so then you have a rookie at right guard and Cody Mock comes out of North Dakota State, second round pick, Luke Gadecki, your second round pick last year, he's your right tackle and he looked awful last year. So when you have that much youth and inexperience on the offensive line and you really only have one dude, like Baker's pocket presence isn't going to help. So it's just, this is stuff that gets compounded really, really quickly. And you just wonder if it's going to be a lot of three and outs. Yeah, and the big thing like you're talking about with Werfs uh, moving from right to left tackle, he even mentioned that he needed uh, like psychological encouragement with that because he was afraid he would let his team down and didn't know how the transition would work out. Like you're saying, he's one of the best right tackles in the game, maybe the best right tackle. I don't know why you think uh, Lane Johnson, Lane Johnson, well, yeah, don't... Lane Johnson. But hey, Lane Johnson's getting up there. And worse is, is. and worse is like a still relatively young player. I think he's still on his rookie deal. So best young right tackle in the game. I I think it's asinine that you would try to move him over to the left. It's just that doesn't help him. I don't think it's going to help the O line. And it's just this team isn't winning anything this year anyway. So it just it seems like a, a pretty bad situation. And I'm pretty down on the Bucks offense as a whole. But I do think that defense should still be good. Unlike the Saints and the uh, Falcons, I am not concerned about that defensive line. It's still stout. They still have guys like Shaq Barrett and Vita Vea. And they spent early draft picks the last three years adding to it. You think uh, the year after they won the Super Bowl, they draft uh, Joe Tryon, edge rusher. Then two years ago, they traded back and got Logan Hall as their first pick. And then this past year, they added Kalijah Kansi with the, I think it was the 19th pick in the first yep. round. And uh, so they've added some good talent uh, to that D line the past few years. They just need to start producing. And the defense has been solid under Todd Bowles, even last year while he was a head coach. Like that's what carried this team to the division title mm -hmm. because Tom Brady, they, like what we were talking about earlier, if you thought it was unwatchable watching Brady and Leftwich operate that offense with the offensive line injuries, like they got zero production outside of like two minute drills and other stuff that kind of pushed the field down in these like last, like, last second drives. And so when you think about that, Anton Winfield comes back, Carlton Davis comes back, Jamal Dean comes back in the secondary, that group should still be good. But now you're asking them to hold up even more since Baker is a downgrade. You have a lot of offensive line departures. And so like, can the defense stay healthy? And can, like you said, Kalijah can see Logan Hall, Vita Vey, some of these guys step up and just dominate because that's the only way this team is going to win games throughout the year. I do think, uh, you know, I was lower on Kansi than a lot of people. I do think that uh, this was the perfect spot for him going next to Vita Vea, who might be the biggest, uh, like really good defensive tackle in the league in terms of like just size. He's the perfect guy to put uh, beside Kalijah Kansi. And yeah, that defense should still be pretty good. But I think the main point on the Bucks is that they just don't have enough juice to compete in this division. And I think they know it. I think they 
they're tanking. It's pretty pretty clear there. They still have some good like players at premium positions, but it's a tank. Bringing in Baker instead of Jacoby Brissett pretty much confirms this in my mind. Baker was one of, if not the worst starters last year. And I'm not I'm not trying to hate on him as a Panthers fan or anything, but he just wasn't good last year. And Jacoby Brissett was a guy that was pretty good last year. He was the best uh, quarterback that played in Cleveland last year. He, I think he was another top 10 EPA guy during his uh, his time as a starter. So if yeah. they were, if they wanted to compete, that was the guy to bring in. But they brought in Baker instead. And I think we all know what that means. Yeah, I think Jacoby, had they tried to make a push for him, would have operated a little bit better in structure. I think that that's the issue with Baker is that if he had a solid offensive line, we we saw spurts in Cleveland where he did well. But the issue is, is again, he, he senses pressure. He gets out of the pocket. He's not good on the run. He, he thinks he's some 4-4 athlete, and he just – he isn't. And when when you put all this together, like I think this is a bottom three team in the NFC. I put them with the Rams and the Cardinals that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And really my only question about this team, because I, I think it's a dumpster fire, is that is this enough to get Mayor Williams? Will, will the defense not be able to hold up enough to where they have a top three, top five pick? And who knows? They're definitely going to have a good shot at selecting one uh, come April. I just, I wonder how quickly Bowles is out the door. I think, I think it's easy to say he's one of the first head coaches fired this year. This is going to be the Bo Nix team. I'm calling it now. <laughs> but, uh, all right. We've done 31 other team breakdowns. Kind of who they've added, who they've lost. Our perspective on them. It's time. We saved the best for last. It's time to go over the Cats. And looking at a quick, like a, just a quick peek at our schedule. I'm thinking 17-0. and 0. What do you think? <laughs> I, th- I think we need to come down. I-, I can definitely see 10 as a ceiling, to be realistic. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll get more into that, but there is a lot to love with this team. Frank Reich as the new head coach, it's cool kind of peeling back the layers on where he came from, because a lot of people remember him as being the OC for Doug Peterson in Philadelphia. Well, where was he before that? Well, he was an offensive assistant for Tony Dungy, for Jim Caldwell in Indianapolis. And if you check back at like Tony Dungy's background, he came from Marty Schottenheimer, Chuck Knoll, some of those like. I wouldn't say aerial or West Coast offenses, but it's it's a little bit more nuanced. And then he paired with the Andy Reid mine in Philadelphia with Doug Peterson. And that's kind of the modern way of building offensive coaching staffs. You 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 take these guys from different trees and you put them together and the offensive blend get comes to be really, really special. So for instance, Wright goes to Indianapolis when he was first hired from Philadelphia. He hired Sarani, who comes from a Belichick Parcells background. And then now with Carolina, he hires Thomas Brown from the McVay tree. And the fact that McCown and Reich were both quarterbacks, I think Bryce Young gets to learn a lot from them, even though he doesn't have the best re- weapons around him. So when you, you, you have coaches that understand your position and are trying to do the best for you, I think that's great, even though we're trying to build the wide receiver room. Absolutely. That uh, the coaching staff as a whole, and particularly on offense, it's got to be one of the best in the league. I, I, I personally think our coaching staff is the best in the league, but that could be biased. But then I think we're I think up. we're a top five, top to bottom. Top if you, you look at all positions uh, and then who we have at the top, I, I think it's top five. Fair enough. Top five. 
But then we get to the new quarterback, and what more is there to say about Bryce Young? He's been the talk of the town on like NFL Network and everything since he's been drafted number one overall. He was the best QB in college football the past two seasons. Extremely good feel for the game. Great pocket mover to, to move and find throwing lanes. Excellent accuracy. And he has a pretty good arm. It's not the strongest arm. Like it's not Levis or Richardson, but it's an NFL QB arm. It's like Burrow. And he just seems like an NFL QB already. Just looking at his preseason, he seems poised. He's not rattled by the pressure or the hits he's taken. He's getting the ball to accurate spots or he's throwing it away. So there's not any picks. The preseason plays really reflected uh, what he did at Alabama. And I can't wait to see what he does this season. Hopefully we do get him some more weapons as his career continues. But for this year, at least it's just, it's serviceable. They're not good, but they're serviceable. Absolutely. And I, I want to touch on why he looks so poised. A lot of people remember Alabama quarterbacks like Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts who are starting NFL quarterbacks at the NFL. And they remember him kind of darting up teams in that Alabama offense. But as you've pointed out with Bryce Young, he played behind a porous Alabama offensive line last year. He he was pressured. He had to move around. And like you said, found windows. And he demonstrated all of that this past preseason, even with all the concerns of Iki Aquanu. And that is what is so impressive about a rookie. Like, again, we are talking about a rookie quarterback, and he is demonstrating some veteran qualities. So with that being said, we are leaning on a committee approach at wide receiver. We we try to hodgepodge it. We have Thielen, who's looked good out of the slot. He's looked good all offseason. We have Hurst, who will be a good security blanket for Bryce. And we've seen that already in a couple critical situations in the preseason on a couple third downs. And then the explosion, the juice of the offense is really, I think, going to come through two players on the perimeter. It's going to be DJ Chark, who's really going to stretch the field. And you're going to have Mingo underneath. And if you can get the ball to him in space, you got to let those guys eat and do what they do best. And like outside of that, it isn't the worst position group. <sighs> But it's, it's definitely one of the bottom ones in the league. And so the O-line is what's got to kind of pick up where it left off last year and really be the bedrock for this team. Yeah, I know a big topic uh, for concern among Panthers fans this preseason uh, kind of stretch is that the O-line is it's taken a huge step back and everything. But I'm not that concerned. Chandler Zavala, the rookie we drafted out of NC State, he looks like to be a decent starter at that right guard spot. And once Corbett is back, I think the O-line is only going to get better. I think his absence is showing us that he's pretty clearly our best O-lineman, or maybe second best besides Taylor Moten. Moten, so yeah, I was it, about to say. Yeah, yeah, he's starting the year on the pup list, uh, which means first four games he can't come back. But hopefully he's back pretty soon after that, maybe after the bye, after the first six games. I think the O-line's only going to get better going into year two with uh, James Campen as the head coach. And another thing I really wanted to point out uh, in regards to our offense is the emergence of offensive coordinator Thomas Brown as the eventual play caller of our offense. Reich has said in quite a few press conferences that that's his long-term goal uh, is to get Brown to be our play caller. And just going through the uh, preseason, our play calls and play designs certainly looked better with Brown at the helm. Uh, you know, he brings that uh, kind of the McVeigh uh, – what's the word, McVay seasoning, I guess, into the offense coming from L.A. And uh, I think that's really going to be more dynamic than the Frank Reich offense. And I'm really looking forward to seeing when, if or when he takes over this season. I think it might be after the bye week in week seven. 
could be later than that. Could be earlier than that. Who knows? But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Thomas Brown can do as a first-time play caller this year. I think that's really going to bump his stock because he was pretty highly regarded throughout the league uh, as a prospective head coach. I think he even had a couple of head coach interviews this past cycle. Absolutely. And we're, we're expected to have three or four tight ends. Frank Reich is known to run 12% at a higher rate. But what we saw in the preseason was exactly like what you were alluding to, almost the McVay seasoning. We, we ran 11 personnel, 93% of our preseason snaps. Like you said, Thomas Brown, when he started calling plays in the second halves, you saw a lot more motion, a lot more creativity, which comes from that McVay tree. So having a guy like that in the room who can take over the play calling and add a little bit of juice, like you said, after the bye week could be huge down the stretch when we're playing teams for pivotal playoff seedings and, and division title stakes. So I think that's huge. Um, the biggest thing is how this offense can be better than last year's. And I think how we finished the year last year is a good way to start it. Where, where you said we've had some O-line concerns when Corbett gets back, there's a lot of those are going to get shored up, but four out of the six first matchups to start the year, we play teams like the Falcons, Saints, Vikings, Lions, all of whom, when we've talked about them, have question marks on the defense and the defensive line. Let this offensive line get settled in by just pounding the rock. Like, I don't think you understand how much offensive linemen love to push around guys just as much as defensive linemen do. So when they get to be able to kind of go on the offense, set the edge, that kind of sets the tone for the season and the game. And it will put a lot less on Bryce's shoulders to be the man drive in and drive out. Oh, yeah. Look at that uh, Seahawks game last year. I think the first drive we had 19 runs and we scored a touchdown on that drive. Just they couldn't set do the anything about the entire it. We game. Just... Mm -hmm. That was the Arby's package game, I think. And uh, like, yeah, like you're saying, we aren't facing the most daunting D lines early to start the year. I think that it, I think it's a good point to kind of get our offensive line settled in, run the ball, let Bryce uh, adjust to the speed of the game a bit, even though I don't I personally don't think he needs to adjust. I think he's already there. But, yeah, just let the offensive line get settled in. Also, yeah, I, 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 in that. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to second when you said, I don't, I don't think Bryce needs the adjustment. I just don't want as much on his shoulders. Like let's oh, yeah, not for just sure. give him the, the entire keys to the castle and just say, you got to run this. Like let's, let's give him some easy buttons. And I think we can do that. Yeah. Don't Joe Burrow women just make him do everything his rookie year. Uh, like, interestingly enough, we aren't facing the best D lines. Like you're saying, we also aren't facing the most difficult stretch of defenses before the bye for Bryce. So hopefully he can take advantage of that as a whole, like defenses as a whole. And uh, yeah, hopefully he can take advantage of that. Now, I, I do want to clarify because anybody that listens knows that I'm involved in kind of the NFL analytics community. I, I don't want to say by running the ball that at a higher rate, we're, we're going to win more. Uh, studies don't back that up empirically, but when you have the pieces on the offensive line that we do, Ikea Kwanu is more suited in the run game. When we can get some of these guys like Bozeman and Zavala and Moten up to the next level on a couple different packages and run packages, we'll see from Thomas Brown, which that was his speciality in LA. I think that's what's going to set the tone early on. Um, the the matchups later in the year. It's like when you, you play defensive lines like the Dolphins, the Cowboys, or the Bucks, even the Packers have, that's that's when we're going to lean on Bryce playmaking ability. We're going to need to to the lean on the quick passing game and just kind of march methodically down the field. 
Yeah, I think running the ball also helps the O-line get set in their pass sets too because it gives them rhythm. But yeah, like you're saying, uh, those first few games should be easier on the team as a whole, and then Bryce will have to step up towards the end. And uh, like the offense, our defense has a, as a whole rather has gotten some pretty big additions to the coaching staff and the players. I think we all know Ajiro Evero will be a head coach pretty soon. He got a head coach interview here, a couple other spots. He got a couple of D.C. interview spots. He's going to boost this unit from a scheme perspective by a big margin. I think he's like one of – he may be the only one in the top ten that I have uh, ranked as a play caller to not have a head coaching job, which is pretty pretty yeah. spectacular on the defensive side of the ball. I know everybody's kind of switched to the offensive side. You need somebody to kind of play call with your quarterback one, your franchise quarterback. But he is a really fundamental piece. And, I mean, you already know my thoughts on the defensive line. Uh, with us retaining Redick, letting Dante walk, but with us having Burns and and being able to add Justin Houston and Shy Tuttle and doing some other things to our defensive line, like drafting a DJ Johnson and letting Amari Barno and Kobe Jones, even though he's cut, kind of develop over this training camp, like gave me a lot of hope about this group. And I thought we could have built it a different way in previous off seasons, but I really like how it's shaped up paired with the fact that we have Vaughn Bell and Deshaun Williams. We have, we have some good rotation along with stars with Luvu, JC, and Shin that'll definitely give Evero stuff to work with because when you run a Fangio-style system, you need a good three-tech to kind of get after. I don't know if Derek Brown will be that or Shai Tuttle will be that in this defense. Then you need a lockdown corner, which you have in JC Horn. So there's, there's a lot to love with what Evero has to work with, and I think he's going to have a similar unit in terms of production like what we saw in Denver. And if you have a top-10 defense – all Bryce has to do is keep this offense around average, and we're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, you'll see with Evero, you're going to start seeing people like Luvu play the three-tech on some plays. He makes some funky fronts, which work out pretty well. I think that defensive line is definitely stout, but the linebacker room actually might be the strongest unit on defense. Granted, I wrote this part before this morning when Deion Jones and Brandon Smith got cut. But I still feel this way. The linebacker room is still really good. Shaq took a reduced deal. Uh, I think he spread his cap hit over this year and next year to stay with the squad. He's kind of our uh, consummate leader on defense. I think he's the la- the oldest guy on the team other than JJ in terms of uh, and both tenure. are the both are the last two that are still rostered from the 2015 squad. So mm-hmm. yes, from there, that Super there's Bowl. a lo- yep. Mm-hmm. So they they, so, they got a little bit of that championship juice in them. Right. He knows what it takes to get there, which is always good. You need your vet leaders on defense. We added Camus Gruger Hill uh, to be a special teams ace. That's what I thought he was going to be, but he's made a lot of plays in training camp. I believe he had four interceptions during camp, uh, some Andy Dalton, some Bryce Young. I think he picked off Zach Wilson in the the joint practices with the Jets. And that's uh, that's how you get above a guy like Deion Jones and Brandon Smith. Like, that's exactly like you said. Like, even though we cut those guys, like, you feel so confident about this group because of that. Right. And then we have Frankie Louvu, who's, I think, our best linebacker pretty clearly. I think he's a guy that we both think can be a pro bowler this season. Like, if you stack his raw stats up against the all-pro players last year, he has, like, similar, like, the same or better stats than a lot of them. He's just on the Panthers, you know. So so Luvu, this isn't a perfect take, but I, I think Luvu can make a push for an all-pro vote. Like, if this is a top-10 unit and we, we, we're kind of on the scene, I don't know if Horn has enough to get that, but I think Luvu front and center, like, you never know. Yeah, I, I know he's a, he's a uh, big part of, 
like NFL Twitter, sicko Twitter. He's one of their favorite players. Uh, so hopefully he gets some more love this year. He deserves it. And he's going to get paid this year uh, by us or by somebody else. Hopefully it's us. We, we can write does... the check. We need to write the check. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Him and Burns need to extend him now. But uh, this doesn't even include guys like Brandon Smith, who got cut. Bumper Pool, who's a UDFA, he got cut. Those are guys that can be on the practice squad. Uh, I believe Chandler uh, Wooten's going to be our fourth linebacker. He's a really good special teams guy, too. This, in my opinion, is the best linebacker room that the Panthers have had since maybe 2015. Maybe 2013, but I, I think 2015 is uh, where I would put it. I, I think that's going back a little bit too far because 2018, we still had Keekly Davis. Uh, like we talked about, Shaq Thompson's been with the team since 2015. And then we also had another guy that I thought was sneaky good and would make the the roster now back how he played was Jermaine Carter. I, 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 I did loved. not think he was good. I was okay. not a fan of I, I thought he was a special <laughs> teams, a really good on special teams. I thought he was a guy that could fill in. But yeah, I, I'd argue yeah. 2018. But yeah, exactly. Well, like you said, yeah. it's years back. And TD was on the back of his back end of his career and i believe 2018 was luke's last uh concussion as well so a lot yeah. of uh like uh in and outs in that linebacker room but yeah that was, that was still a pretty good room the like we talked about with the offensive line with some of the concerns and i think what the concerns are is that there's not a lot of depth uh, another position group we don't have a lot of depth of but i do like the starters is the secondary we brought in Von Bell and Troy Hill this offseason, and Dante Jackson is back from injury. It's it's definitely a deeper secondary than we've had in a long time, and we can run a lot of big nickel because of Jeremy and Shin and Von Bell, but it's just if, if we have another devastating injury to a guy like J.C. Horn, I like our safety depth, but I'm just not confident in this cornerback room, and that's 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 a lot of the hesitation that you're hearing from me is that as much as I want to believe in this group, and it is good when it's healthy, we get an injury or two, we're going to have holes in this defense. And that's where it goes, okay, can Evero hide these holes? Or are they going to be too much to where offenses then all be able to kind of pick us apart? We did cut a lot of our corner depth on the team today. So I do think they're going to be moving or pushing to make a move for more corner depth, be it from... Uh, picking up people who are cut or maybe trading for a guy, like maybe a Bradley Roby, something like that. But uh, I, I agree with you there with the corner room being our weak link on the defensive end. But I think the additions to the spots we needed, like Von Bell, Shai Tuttle, plus Evero being just able to scheme these guys better than his predecessors, I think that they can vault our defense into the top 10 unit that we all know that they can achieve. Uh, I would expect them to hover like maybe between 8th and 14th, 15th throughout the year. But top 10 is what I think uh, should be the ceiling for this team. And with Evero being able to scheme it, I think they can achieve it. So, like, here's the thing. The the Patriots, I would argue, on paper have, like, a better defense. But their strength is schedule. Right. They play against Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen. Some of those guys twice a year. And it's, like, the best quarterbacks we have on our schedule are Trevor Lawrence and Dak Prescott. And so the the large amount of guys that we're playing are mediocre or rookie quarterbacks, and that could lend itself to this defense balling out even more than what we're seeing it projected as. And so I think the big issue last year was our offense could never stay on the field with Baker or Walker. And so Bryce Young, he sustains a few more drives, keeps our defense kind of rested, and is able to put some points on the board. I, I really think this defense can get after and put the – like the pedal to the metal. I mean, Luvu had like two pick sixes, like Saints, Cardinals. 
Um, this this is a defense that can start getting a little bit more aggressive if we can play with a lead, and I think Bryce can sometimes offer that in in the first halves of game, and that could that could completely change how we view this defense. Absolutely, I think uh, with that and with the offense in mind, I think the team has a tremendous, like really tremendous improvement across the board uh, from both the players and the coaching staff. I think almost every position group, I think the two that we could argue are maybe wide receiver and corner. Other than that, I think every position group has improved. And obviously the coaching staff has tremendously improved from the start of last year. Steve Steve Wilkes is a great head coach. um, So I'm not sure that that's a huge improvement there, but he was a great head coach. I want to point that out. Needs a fair shot. Uh, But yeah, we had to deal with. We had to deal with rule to start the year, a lot of coaching staff and turnover in the middle of the season. Remember, we had there were, after Wilkes took over, a lot of position coaches uh, were let go because yep. they I think they followed rule to Nebraska. Um, or I don't even remember if he had the Nebraska job at the time, but a lot of position coaches were let go. I think it's reasonable to expect this team to be better and this have a better record. I mean, we were seven and ten with all the turmoil going on last year. The only hesitation that I would have with this is that typically teams with rookie QBs don't have a ton of year one success. But why that being is said, that? Why is that? Because they're on bad teams. We're not a super great team. But well, we, were we are in the ten. NFC style. Yeah. Right. We were 7-10. Seven, uh, seven and ten. And that's why I think that 8-9 to nine wins should be realistic. Maybe the expectation. I would say maybe 7 wins could be our floor and 10 is the ceiling. And I want to get into our schedule a bit here. Similarly to last week, we talked about the Jags, or I talked about the Jags, maybe sneaking into that one seed in the AFC because they play the AFC South and the NFC South. Well, guess what? We play the AFC South and the NFC South too. So that's 10 games, obviously, or rather yep, 10 eight games. games. Six plus four. Or ten, yeah, yeah, 10 games. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was messing up. Obviously, the Jags are a lot better than we are. But outside of that, that's nine games where, hey, we could have a shot here. And then all the other games added into that. So maybe seven wins is the floor, maybe 10 to 11 as the ceiling. I think we should expect improvement. I just wouldn't be too hasty to crown us as, oh, we're going to go 13 to four now that we have a QB. I think it might take a year or two to build the rest of the team around Bryce. It's, it's definitely going to take a year or two to fully build it. But a lot of times you see these quarterbacks on rookie contracts, their teams make a Super Bowl push in the second or third year. And that's that's the window I think we've opened up for ourselves. And I think the best, because everybody wants to point to rookie quarterbacks don't do well in terms of how the team performs from a winning standpoint. Most of the time, they actually improve their wins from the year before. And the best example of that is that the Washington uh, Commanders, um, before the name change, they they traded up, they they grabbed Robert Griffin III, and they were 6-10 and 10 before drafting him. You know what they went after drafting him? 10 and 6. And so that, that's really all we're seeing is that, hey, you plug in a good quarterback into a competent team, you get a wild card division title in terms of since we play in the NFC South, that kind of caliber team right out of the gate. And that's that's what I'm seeing. That's what I think everything that we've seen from the coaching staff down to training camp. Yes, preseason, we go 0-3. But like you said, Thomas Brown could take over play calling duties after the bye. And that's a bump in your team. Like, So you can you can take this easier part in the schedule, get acclimated, and then start winning games and start taking a step as an offense. 
and with with the preseason, I would say uh, our starting unit improved every game. I think it that's did. a big thing as well. Like they built the confidence uh, after every game. But yeah. With that, we are wrapped up with all 32 teams and the breakdown for the NFC South. We have the additions and subtractions. The first one up is the head coach hiring here in Charlotte. That's right. Uh, I think a head coach should be number one, no matter what. Or if there are multiple, maybe like one, two, three. But we they brought can be in tenured Frank longer than a player. That's why. Like a lot of people oh, may not yeah, understand. Absolutely. We have a lot of coaches on this ranking. And the reason is, is that they can be there for four or five years. Most right, players and... here ahead, for three, four years in the NFL. So it's, it's more just the longevity of that and the value they add in terms of the roster. Well, that and they also scheme up all the players as opposed mm-hmm. to just one player having said impact. So number one is obviously Frank Reich. He's the only new head coach to the division. Uh, he's been a head coach before and was successful in Indianapolis, despite some extenuating circumstances with the, the QB decisions that the owner, the GM, and in part, Frank Reich played. We can't. He had a new starting quarterback every, every single year. year. I, like, that's that's a lot to go through. And I get you, you do put some of that blame on him, but that's why when he came to Carolina, Tepper had been doing the same thing, going through Teddy. Baker, Sam Darnold, all those guys, and went, that's it. We're getting our franchise guy. And that's what they did. Absolutely. He was kind of thrust into a bad spot after the luck retirement, but he made the most out of it. He had a pause. I believe he went 40, 33, and one uh, with the Colts. He had a positive record. And he's been in this league a long time. I mean, hell, he was our first QB, uh, first touchdown pass ever for the Panthers. So he's been around the block. In Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah, that's a good, uh, good callback. And so he knows what it takes. He's been a successful coach. He won a Super Bowl with the Eagles when he was calling or when he was the offensive coordinator there. He's just a he's just a pro coach, and that's exactly what we needed. And he assembled one of the best coaching staffs that we've seen in the league, maybe ever. And like you were talking about, he went through the QB struggles in Indianapolis. So Tepper said, All right, it's time to get our guy. And that guy is number two on our list. That's Bryce Young. Like I said, uh, best QB in college football incredible processor already feels like he has NFL poise uh, that the size can think or size thing concern, whatever. It's always going to follow him just because he's an outlier there. But if he can uh, play like he did at Alabama and play well and shut people up, he's going to be in the league a long time. He is. I, I think he can have a Drew Brees arc in terms of longevity, in terms of playing 15 plus years in the NFL, simply because he gets the ball out of his hands quickly. As much as we want to look at guys like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis and be like, oh, they can take hits. Well, we watched Cam Newton and Andrew Luck, two guys that were six foot five, 240, 250 pounds, have their seasons, or not seasons, their careers come short because of injuries, because they thought they could Superman it. And Bryce Young is smart enough to realize, hey, I can't do that already at my frame. Let me be smart. And that's that's what he's displayed all throughout college, the preseason, training camp. And it's the reason why he's the week one starter. Now, Another quarterback that we have on this list at number three is Derek Carr. And if the Saints are really going to kind of back up with the market is implying that they are the division favorites, it's going to be on this guy's shoulders. He is going to have to operate this offense at a very high level, which is it's a little concerning because you have Pete Carmichael calling plays, but you're just hoping him and Alave and some of the other guys on this offense have a good connection. Now, number four, a guy that we're going to have on defense for the Panthers, Ezro Evero, or no, Ezero Evero. There we go. Um, trying to rhyme his first name and his last name is not not the move. 
Um, but he's going to be scheming up defenses to stop a guy like Derek Carr. And I absolutely love what he has to work with here in Carolina. And I think he's going to take full advantage of it and have several head coaching uh, interviews next offseason. Yeah, another guy that's going to have several head coaching interviews in the future to add on to the ones he's already had is the Panthers' new offensive coordinator, Thomas Brown. Like we said, he hasn't called plays before. Uh, he, he was the run game coordinator. He's a running backs coach, tight ends coach. He was an offensive coordinator in college. Uh, he was a college running back at Georgia, one of the best Georgia backs ever. He's just been around the block a ton. He's coming from uh, over from Sean McVay's staff, so he's going to bring some of that to this offense. And I'm really looking forward to what he can do once he's the full-time play caller. And then at number six, another coach. Now, I promise this is the end of all the coaches. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's Ryan Nielsen, who's the new Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator. He's coming over from the Saints, and he's bringing a lot of his, uh, his Saints guys with him. It's just going to be important because he has to fill Dean Pease's shoes, who's just all not an all-time coach, but he's been around the league a long time. And he's going to have to really call a defense that's spent, invested a ton uh, of money this past offseason on that defense. He's going to have to get them right this year if they want to be able to compete and win this division. I mean, you spend over $65 million in free agency. You hope you brought in the right guys. And that's that's really the big question here. The other concern is, and, and we talked about it earlier, you guys as Panther fans who are listening, you know this, Eric Washington, he was the kind of the last guy, Sean McDermott leaves our secondary uh, coach at the time, Steve Wilkes. He stepped in as defensive coordinator, got a job quickly after Eric Washington steps in and it just, it wasn't the same. And there, there can sometimes be a lack of vision when you're so entrenched in the trenches, uh, pun intended. And that's, that's what could be lost here. But at the same time, if he can get the most out of Atlanta's poorest defensive line, I think that's a great start too, especially for that defense trying to make a rebound. At number seven, we have Adam Thielen. Uh, we paid him a lot of money from Minnesota. I would have preferred paying a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, uh, but he wasn't available at the start of free agency. And he's been a great veteran presence who's been able to teach some of these younger guys in the room, which is great, while being a great security blanket for Bryce Young. Number and eight. Bryce's first touchdown. In preseason, we'll see We'll see the actual first real touchdown who that goes to. Um, at number eight, we have a guy who's going to be electric. Regardless of what you think about the surplus or team building um, points and drafting him, this guy is going to tear it up. And that's B. John Robinson. This guy is going to run wild. I would expect 1,200 yards if Tyler Algier and Cordell Patterson could be as effective as they could be in this system. And he is going to run over a lot of people. And it's it's going to be fun to watch. I, I like as as a rival, I'm I'm not thrilled to see him touching the ball. I will I will say that I would rather see Ritter stepping back to throw that ball than Bijan running it. Absolutely, he's going to run uh, over, around, and through you. He's probably going to have like two touchdowns against us week one, even though yep. we'll probably win. We're we're going to win that one, but uh, you, you heard it here. But another guy who's electric that was drafted to this division in the first round is Kalijah Kansi, the defensive tackle that's now on the Bucks, or could be defensive end. He he is smaller than every other defensive lineman. He's up there with Aaron, <coughs> Aaron Donald. Donald. In terms of yeah, same uh, same college, right? He's up there in terms of it's measurables. Burned. But here's the thing. He's also extremely fast, extremely strong, extremely quick. His raw score was like 9.9 .9 something. And the only reason it wasn't a 10 is because his arms are short. 
He's an incredible athlete, and he's going to be able to tear it up beside Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, and some of those other first-round picks that the Bucks have invested on that defensive line. Hopefully, uh, he tears it up against everybody but us this year. And then the last uh, member of our top 10 additions to the division is another defensive lineman, and this one's one we're going to have to face week one in Calais Campbell. Now, he is the oldest player uh, on our list. I think he's older than Carr. Yeah. Uh, oldest player on our list of top 10 pl- uh, additions. He's 36 years old, like we talked about. He's getting up there in age, age, but he was still productive for the Ravens last year. Had five or more sacks, and he's coming to uh, not inexperience, but a, a line on uh, the Falcons that hasn't been put together. Um, still has a lot of questions, an older O-line. They're going to need him to uh, produce for that O-line because, like you said, they don't have a ton of young depth, and it's just the way it is. It's it's just old. I don't, <laughs> it's just old. I don't have anything else there. Yeah. You, you're hoping Grady Jarrett and David Onyemata can do well enough on the interior that it, it's Breeze, Bud Dupree, Zach Harrison, and Calais Campbell off the edge. We'll, we'll see if that plays out the way I think they're trying to draw it up, but I, it's, it's a little skeptical. Uh, we will talk about the losses now, the top 10 subtractions from the NFC South. At number one, it is the first ballot Hall of Famer, the greatest of all time, no matter what you want to say, it's Tom Brady. And when you lose a guy of his caliper, what he brings to the locker room, what he brings to practice, what he brings snap in and snap out in terms of getting guys ready, you just you lose so much. And, and there's a lot of losses on this offensive line between Donovan Smith and Shaq Mason and not getting Ryan Jensen back. And you have Baker Mayfield now. And I, I, I personally, I want to see the Bucks fans who buy a Baker Mayfield jersey because this is this is going to be catastrophic. What happens in Tampa this year? It's going to be bad. A guy, a guy at number two that we have to talk about though, outside of Tom Brady, and there's a huge drop off from number one to number two. But it's it's DJ Moore in Carolina. We had to send someone in order to move the Bears from one, and we decided on DJ Moore, which I thought was smarter over Brian Burns and Derek Brown. But that means we have one less weapon on the perimeter, a guy that had three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons during his rookie contract. This guy's electric. He's he's a playmaker in space, and he's going to be missed. Absolutely. He's, uh, he's one of the best after-the-catch receivers in terms of uh, breaking tackles and going the distance. When he came out of the draft, I thought he was like – souped up golden tate and i think he's lived up to that i don't think that's an insult at all he's just been really good and he's dealt with a lot of qb turmoil so hopefully justin fields is able to put it together this year and he's able to finally have good qb play uh, in his career number three is another panthers loss it's a steve wilkes a guy that really uh righted the ship last year after the start of the season and matt rule was let go Wilkes really stepped in and uh, provided the leadership that our team needed. He rallied the guys to winning. Uh, I believe Wilkes was six and six during his tenure. If he you was. extrapolate that over a full year, it's been since 2017 that we've gone 500 or above. So something like that is not something to uh, to be trifled about, to like frown upon. Wilkes did a really good job here, and hopefully he's able to do a really good job in San Francisco as their defensive coordinator this season. What Number was funny four. is Matt Rule was supposed to be like, this was his make or break it year. And he, he came out of the gate slow as all get out. And then Wilkes was able to, like you said, like nothing to be frowned upon in terms of performance. He got out of the roster what you were expecting. And that's oh, that's what you no, want no, no. in a coach. 
he got more out of the roster than what we were True. expecting. I think is a fair way to put it. I mean, we were one and four at that point and six and six, even with the, uh, that first game was kind of rough versus the Rams, but that wasn't really uh, his squad. You know, uh, they let go of Robbie Anderson traded McCaffrey, but after that they got it rolling and uh, we were six and five after that. And uh, he led us to second in the division, almost to a division title versus the Bucks last year, but it kind of all fell Henderson flat. But, yeah. And Sam Darnold. But yeah, uh, at number four is a defensive lineman staying in the division, but going from the Saints to the Falcons. It's David Onyemata. They paid him a pretty penny. Uh, he's coming over with Ryan Nielsen, and he's going to have to help contribute on that, again, just old defensive line. And I think this is a big loss for the Saints because, like we talked about, they're just bringing in backups and uh, rotation players to fill his void and a few other people's voids we'll talk about later uh, on this list. A guy that was drafted in 2015, I believe he's missed like three or four games over that duration, been a solid left tackle, was Donovan Smith for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he he had somewhat of a forgettable season to even his standards last year. And because of that, the Buccaneers didn't re-sign him. I believe he was a free agent. They might have cut him, but I don't think it would have made sense to cut him. He goes to Kansas City, and he'll be the new left tackle for Patrick Mahomes. So hopefully he gets a restart there, reboot, uh, and kind of picks up where he was during Tom Brady's prime. At number six, we have, like we were talking about, Saints lose a lot of guys. We we pick up Shy Tuttle. The Saints lose Shy Tuttle. And everything that I saw, especially when we went down the training camp that one day, he's been pushing Derek Brown. And when you have guys in the same position group that are able to push somebody next to him, that's, that's getting another 1% that, that rolls into the season. And so we could see good years from both of those guys if they're on the field. Absolutely. I love the, uh, the Tuttle edition. Another Bucks O lineman that's not going to be with the team this year. Oh, excuse me. Is Ryan Jensen. He's their center. Uh, like we talked about, he got put on season-ending IR a couple of days ago. Uh, he's going to miss the season. Uh, I think his career uh, going forward may be in doubt. But he was a really good pro that the Bucks have had for quite a while. And uh, just losing your center, outside of maybe your left tackle or even right tackle in today's NFL, losing your center is huge. This is the guy that uh, a lot of times can call the defense, point out the, uh, the mic or whoever's blitzing. And losing that kind of guy is huge, especially for a guy with poor pocket presence like Baker. Yep. And then another Saints D lineman that is uh, leaving the division. And this Our time they're one. getting – yeah, they're getting out of the division this time, not just moving teams. It's Marcus Davenport. Uh, he didn't really live up to the hype of his draft selection. He was kind of marred by injuries. But the fact that he's just the third Saints starting D lineman that's leaving, we couldn't leave him off the list. I mean – He's just too important. Now they're starting a, a rotation guy in Carl Granderson there. Hopefully he can uh, play up to Davenport's level or past it, but that Saints D-line is not looking great. No, it's not. I mean, you lose three. These three guys that we talked about all played 40% or more of the snaps on defense last year for the Saints. Like they, These aren't just like, oh, this guy was out already with injury and it, his contract expired. It's like, no, you got you got actual snaps from these guys and your defensive line was not good, and now they're gone. Uh, at number nine, we have Shaq Mason. He got traded to the Houston Texans. They seem to be trading for every offensive lineman they can this offseason. I think, like you said, they, they'll probably have 13 offensive linemen on the final 53. <laughs> it's insane. Um, at number 10, we have Leonard Fournette. 
He's still a free agent. I thought he would have been a good signing for the Patriots up until they grabbed Ezekiel Elliott. Just seemed like that bruiser back that you bring in for a one or two yard punch. Maybe the uh, Panthers bring him in because we really don't have that guy since we cut. Um, who did we? Spencer? Spencer? Spencer no. Brown. Spencer it was Brown. Spencer Brown. I was yeah. about to say Spencer yeah. Ware, and I was like, nope, that is a old Chiefs running back. That's probably old not in Chiefs the league back. anymore. Yeah. Yep. So, and it's it's something. It's somebody like that where it's I I feel like he can still find his role with a contending team if they need that. And absolutely so, proven pro. Uh, I would even take him here because we don't have that true bruiser on our roster currently. Absolutely. And he could be a guy that we sign halfway through the year and go, hey, we need this. This is something when we're on fourth and one or we're on the goal line, we can't we can't get it in. And that's where you bring in a guy like that. Absolutely. And uh, it's that time. You know, this is our eighth time doing this, probably our last time doing it that we're doing. No, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll do perfect takes throughout well, the season. During the season. Yeah. I mean, uh, before the season, our last time doing it, it's time for our takes and we usually go alphabetical because J is before S, but uh, why don't you start this one, Steve? Oh, you're so sweet, Jacob. Um, so my first of, I have two takes today. I, I think usually I have, I'm around three, but today it's two. Uh, this first one's a double-sided one. It's that Carolina wins the division, and the reason why we win the division is Bryce Young is the offensive rookie of the year. I think there really is no comparison in this draft class or – I, I mean, maybe you could go back to Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, like guys that are so good in terms of just seeing the field that that can process what's going on and make the right decision and make it quickly. And Bryce Young does that, even though he's undersized, he's one of those guys that's just playing smart football down in and down out. My second take is that the Buccaneers will land a top five pick and Bowles will be the first coach fired this year. I think that's uh, that's definitely plausible. I think I said early in our series that Stefanski would be the first one. Um, I could see either of those guys being the first coach fired, but I do think that uh, if expectations aren't met, uh, Stefanski isn't surviving the year. And I certainly think that if the Bucks get the top five pick that they want, then they will bring in a new coach for their new rookie QB. Uh, my first take is that nobody in this division is going to win more than nine games. So no double digit winners. It's going to be like last year. Panther fans right now. I know, but I think it's going to be similar to last year. We're going to get like a nine and eight winner, but I do think that top part is going to be more competitive. Like maybe nine and eight, nine and eight, eight and nine, maybe nine and eight, eight, nine, eight, nine, something like that between those top three teams. But uh, I don't think there's going to be double-digit winners this year. I just don't think any squad is good enough to uh, put up those numbers. And then my second take, which is similar to yours, is that the Rookie of the Year will come from this division. But I said that it's either going to be Bryce or Bijan Robinson. I think those are by far the two best offensive players in the draft. I think they both ended up in pretty good situations. I, I would say Bijan's situation is probably a lot better. But Bryce's situation for a rookie QB, the number one overall pick, no less, is not a horrendous one like we've seen the past few years. So I think he certainly could uh, could put up some of those better rookie QB year numbers like Herbert or a Baker Mayfield did a couple, like, what, five, six years ago. Uh, so, yeah, those are my two takes. And then uh, all we have now for this division, obviously we have some Panthers talk, but for the division is the division standings prediction. 
Again, we're this gonna, is our last gonna, one of the preseason. Yeah. We're going to change some things up. Instead of going top to bottom, we're going to go bottom to top. And I think we both we both know who the bottom seller is. How about how about you break down why you think the Buccaneers are the last place team in the NFC South this year? Yeah, they're just going to be bad. There's no way around it. Uh, Baker Mayfield is not a good QB. I don't think he's an NFL starter at this point in his career. They have uh, aging players at important positions like wide receiver, like in Mike Evans, who a guy that you said could be maybe even gone at the trade deadline to a contender. Uh, they have some older players at edge as well, despite bringing in like some young D-line talent. Shaq Barrett's getting up there too. I mean, he was on the Broncos in 2015. So it's yeah. not like he's a, a fresh player either. I think this is a year, like you said, that could be where the coaching staff gets fired. This team should be on Caleb Williams, Drake May, whoever your third QB is. I have Riley Leonard from Duke currently as my third QB for the year. They're on that watch. Top three, top four QB watch. They are. They're they're one of the bottom rosters in the, the league. They're they're a bottom three team in the NFC, which is already a porous conference. It's it's not looking great for this team. They 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 have a banner. And that's great. It seems like what they do is they pull a, a championship out of thin air, like once every 20 years, and they go back to being the awful franchise that we know the Buccaneers to be. So it seems to be trajectory right now. They're they're coming down off the down slope, and it's it's going to be a rough skidding all the way to the bottom uh, this year after being the division winner for the past, what, three years now? I think it's three. Since Brady was there, I think it's been three. But, uh, so. but yeah. Um, I think we have the next two teams switched up. Uh, yep. But for me, but they, but they are have, two and three. They are two and three they are for two both and of three, us. So. To be fair, yeah. Uh, for me, I have the Saints as the uh, yeah the Saints is the next worst team. Uh, adding Derek Carr just doesn't really move me. And like we were talking about, he's probably a better QB than Andy Dalton at this point in his career. No offense to uh, best backup in the league, Andy Dalton. But I don't know if he's going to be better or more efficient than Dalton was last year. Uh, the defense is also aging. That's also an issue for me. And the skill positions that were superstars four years ago are also aging. Uh, Chris Olave is really exciting. But other than that, they need people like Kendra Miller or Rashid Shahid to emerge and like take really huge steps. And I just don't know if that's going to happen. I have the Saints finishing second in the division. And the reason why is it kind of goes back to kind of some of the market expectations. This offensive line had a few injuries. I feel like even if Alvin Kamara isn't what he was, adding Jamal Williams, adding Kendra Miller, those guys will be effective in the run game. Chris Olave is the best wide receiver in the NFC South right now. And so when you have a guy like that, it's going to open up the rest of the offense. And it really just comes down to how well do Pete Carmichael and Derek Carr kind of mesh. And if there's... There's fireworks there. They'll they'll ride that to a division title, but there are a lot of concerns with the defense. And if the defense comes out flat, they they're very much the third best team in this division, which leads us to your second best team in the division. And my third, the Atlanta Falcons. How do you feel about them? I think so. The first two teams are kind of stagnant to me. They didn't improve too, too much. And that's why I have them there. What one of the big reasons why I have them there. I and think they lost the Falcons, a lot of guys, too. That was the huge part. They, they, huge yes, losses. Uh, looking at our losses uh, graphic that we'll publish, the Saints and the Bucks comprise, what is it, eight of our 
top 10 losses to the division. So yeah, yeah. huge losses. And this team didn't have any of the losses in our uh, top 10 losses in our division, the Falcons. And I think they also improved tremendously going into year three of Arthur Smith. And we know usually year three of a head coach's regime is when they try to make their run. I think adding Bijan Robinson to their run-heavy offense is huge. They spent a ton on defense and free agency, which their defense was bad last year, so it was good that they spent on uh, their defense and free agency. But again, it's going to come down to how well Ritter can play for them. And I don't have a ton of faith in him being the guy, and that's why I don't have them at number one in the division. Yeah. The the Falcons, for me, the biggest concern is, is that four out of your five starters who are slated to be – four-year starters this year all play 99% of the snaps. So they expect that kind of continuity again this year, probably not going to happen. It could, but if it does, then at that point, it really is on Ritter's shoulder. And it's about making sure he's placing the ball better because the issue is, is that the the catches I saw last year when Ritter was a starter, he was putting Drake London in a situation where Drake London had to go up and make a play and not that the ball was there and then he could go make a play. I think that's really the biggest step that you want to see from this quarterback is can he just put the ball in his playmaker's hands in the best possible position so they aren't having the ball out just to make a catch because that's that's going to be the biggest difference. If he can do that, then this offense is a lot better than it was last year with Mariota. If he can't, I don't really see it improving that much outside of what Bijan is doing in the run game. That's fair, but even if they don't improve that much, I think the defense improves enough to push them over the Saints. Uh, because we all had the same record last year, all three of the Panthers, Falcons, Saints. We did. So I, I think that defensive improvement is enough to push them. But that's going to bring us to the team that I currently have winning the division, the team you currently have winning the division. That's our Carolina Panthers. And I don't think I can understate the amount of improvement that this team, a team that was second in the division last year with Matt Rule's staff and his players, is crazy. The coaching staff is second to none in the league. We said top five earlier. I'm sticking to the second to none rating. Uh, that's just me. Top uh, to bottom, it well, is hard to argue because, like you said, some of these position coaches, Josh McCown, got a head coaching interview with the Texans, guys, and he's he's third mm-hmm. down on the pecking list in our offensive staff. Absolutely. he He's gotten a head coach interview before. Thomas Brown's gotten head coach interviews before. Ejiro Evero's gotten head coach interviews before. All of those guys will probably be head coach candidates next offseason should this team not bottom out. The free agent signings are also all pretty strong, and I think they're going to gel with the players we already have here. So guys like Von Bell and Shai Tuttle that we mentioned on defense, Hayden Hurst, DJ Chark on offense. And then all of this combined with adding the best QB in the draft, along with some other promising rookie players. Granted, when we had five draft picks, but we have guys like Jonathan Mingo, who I know you're really high on. Chandler Zavala, oh, yeah. who, who's been a solid starter for uh, to fill in for Austin Corbett on that right guard spot during the preseason. They should, uh, should amount to some great improvement for, even if they're not starting for depth purposes for the Panthers this season. I think all of this overall, plus the fact that our division is weak enough for a team to sneak in on maybe eight or nine wins. I think the Panthers absolutely have a shot at winning the division this year, despite this being the first year of a new regime. Everybody wants to make the uh, big to do about the Falcons defensive additions. That's why you have them at two, uh, the saints defense, how it's been so good for so long. I, 
I just don't see how those groups are better than what we're putting out. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying our interior defensive line is all that. Our secondary depth is obviously very questionable. But when you see some of the pieces and you see who's calling the plays, I think that's what carries this team. I think we have a top 10 defensive unit. I think we have at least an average offense with Bryce Young. I think he is a very competent quarterback at this level. He's going to make the right reads. There's obviously going to be some mistakes and growing pains. We aren't going to go 17-0. I know Jacob jokes about that on the <laughs> podcast, but it's one of the things that we are going to have a lot more bright spots probably at the end of this year than most of the other teams that we're looking at this division. So when you see where we're at now, where the future is heading, this is probably the brightest team that we have in the NFC South. And that's awesome. That's that's something we haven't had since really the end of the Cam era because Matt Rule, that 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 was the medieval times, that was the dark ages, <laughs> and now we're coming into the Renaissance. And the Renaissance is gonna be under Bryke and Rice. It's the reason why the title of this episode is the Bryce Age. We're hype on it, we're on the train, jump on, leave us behind, it doesn't matter, we're going full steam. Absolutely, and that's why we both have the Panthers winning the division. The rest of the teams, don't even matter. Don't even nope. care about that order. And to continue with the Panthers, this is a Panthers pod. We got to talk a little bit about like Panthers current events and stuff. Uh, we did have our last preseason game this past weekend. And rather than going into the weeds of everything, I think the main takeaway from that is that we saw what we needed to see. Bryce and the starters on offense played uh, two series. We finally got a touchdown from Bryce uh, after our offense struggled versus the Giants and the Jets. Granted, the uh, the Giants and Jets, well, the Jets didn't, but the Giants. I mean, Dexter Lawrence was put in Bozeman in a, oh, in yeah. a cycle. Yeah, and he he was. The Jets and Giants defenses were a lot better than what we saw from the Lions, at least the starting unit. And I think we saw what we needed to see, and uh, take that tape, put it to bed, get ready for the regular season. That's my thought Absolutely. on that game. I, I'm I'm so hoping the reason why we were in 11 personnel is that some of the wrinkles Reich's going to bring in starting week one are going to be some of those 12 personnel looks. Are we running it? Are we going to play some play action off of it? And that could open up some some great plays on this offense that we we didn't get to see this preseason, which is okay with me. Like when when it really counts, that's when you want to see it. So. Cut day is today. Uh, we already lost Jake Luton, Cameron Peoples, Gary Jennings. I wasn't a big fan of Gary Jennings and his Lions performance. I think that's why he went when he did. Bumper pool was cut. Rajon Wright, cornerback, a guy that we thought maybe could make the 53. Kobe Jones got cut. Um, Deion Jones, man. Deion Jones, Brandon Smith, we talked about this earlier. I, I actually thought I wasn't I wasn't big on the signing of him at the beginning. And you reminded me earlier the day before we hopped on this podcast is that he was a camp body that that he was brought in just to kind of boost the unit. We have a really strong core. Like you said, it's probably the best we've seen since the Luke Keekley Thomas Davis era. And so that's exciting to see. It really is. Um, what, what are some of the kind of the, the, the three guys that you think um, out, of, out of who we cut, and we'll, we'll probably get into a few more of these guys that we cut, that you think will make the practice squad, that, that will be potentially good role players later in the season if there are injuries to the starters? I think the big one's going to be Kobe Jones, right? I mean, we saw him we saw him in person, uh, devastating in camp, like devastating opposing alignment in camp. Had a really good camp. He kind of uh, settled down during the second preseason game. I don't think he played the third preseason game but uh he kind of cooled down but he was a guy that uh i know a lot of fans us included were pretty high on spencer brown 
as another guy because we don't we don't really have that bruiser back and that's what he was during uh he's been on our team for a couple years now on the practice squad he got some run at the end of last year had a touchdown in the uh lions game he's just a good uh bruiser back something we need i even thought that it might have been a long shot that he made it over chuba but uh chuba's a high not a high draft pick but a fourth round pick and i guess they wanted his services still and then Jordan Thomas is a guy that uh, is kind of less known than the other two. He played both tight end and outside backer in the XFL. He was mainly an edge rusher for us, but I think he's a guy that uh, would be interesting to see on the practice squad because of his athletic profile and what he's able to do uh, in multiple ways, multiple positions. Absolutely. I think the first one for me, and I was a little shocked. I, I was hoping he would take a step in year two. He showed some promise last year. You you really liked him. And that's Keith Taylor. I We needed cornerback depth, and I really thought we were going to get it from him. He looked awful in that Lions game, I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't like what I saw from him. And I think that's a big part of the reason why he didn't make the 53. We also don't have bumper pool, which, again, linebacker depth, that's okay. It's a guy that I think if he stays on the practice squad – could be impactful, like say next year. And it just depends on if a team like the Texans or somebody else that has Alabama ties or know what knows what bumper pool is about, pulls them. Uh, and we'll, we'll see in the coming days. The other the other pick is Deontay Brown. Big boy, big boy. Well, we're talking mm -hmm. about guard help Unit. and stuff. Exactly. And it's one of those things that if we can keep him around on the practice squad and we can just have a big body on the offensive line, if for some reason – Corvids or Zavala, some of these guys start going down that we have another guy that we can throw in there that can be serviceable. True. And uh, we just passed the cut deadline earlier in the pod as we're recording. I have the 53 here in front of me, and I'm going to run some things by you and uh, kind of get your reaction. Um, okay. So if we're ready, we there were three cuts that needed to happen once we started recording, and I put them all three down here in the script. You'll notice that uh, one of them's in italics there. Go ahead and read off who that is for me and uh, kind of your reaction on this player being cut. So I saw this tweet because I knew this section was coming up. We we saved when we recorded because we knew when we got to this point, the, the final cuts would be released. The first one was a guy that we thought could be an adequate swing tackle. And I think it's going to come down. I, I really want Brady Christensen to be the swing tackle, honest to goodness. Like mm -hmm. that is, we talked about this earlier. If Corbett comes back, you slide Zavala over the left guard, the play right next to Icky. And you have Christensen as a tackle that can either fill in for Moten or hopefully Icky, if either Icky continues to regress the way he has been or he gets injured. Um, but Cam Irving, I haven't said his name. Cam Irving is the guy that got cut. He has looked awful this preseason. Hasn't necessarily been the best uh, starter when he's been given the opportunity. And I can understand the cut here. Uh, the other Get two him guys, out of here. Am I right? The other yeah, two uh, guys. Yeah, go for it. I, I, I wasn't as familiar with these guys. So I think this was yeah. more of a fair. These are just, uh, they've been depth guys for the preseason. Greg Maben, the corner, and Taylor Stallworth at uh, defensive tackle. Uh, yeah, just depth guys. I feel like guys that were going to be cut and they did end up being cut and that is unfortunate. And hopefully they're able to catch on on a practice squad or another roster somewhere. But I think the big one for these final three was Cam Irving. And uh, I'm looking at the, the 53 right now. We currently have eight O linemen, uh, five who we'd expect like the starters. Then we also have, uh, Nash Jensen and Cade Mays, two guys, uh, on the interior that we thought could make it. Nash Jensen, a UDFA from, I believe, North Dakota State. I think he's played the most games uh, as a starter in FCS history. He, he's right a guy now. that's really impressed this uh, offseason. And then 
uh, the third tackle that we currently have is Ricky Lee. Now, I don't know too much about him, but he must have impressed to make it over a guy like Cam Irving, who was a, I think he was a top 15 pick in his draft. He's been in the league like 10 years. Uh, I'm just glad Cam Irving and Michael Jordan are gone. They, uh, they just seem to have like a bad, bad juju around them, bad energy, uh, always negative. Um, and just, they don't produce on the field. And I'm glad that, uh, glad that we've moved on from them there. Another thing I wanted to throw by you. So we currently have now the full 53 is always in flux, right? Until next Tuesday. That's really when you hammer down the, uh, the 53 that you're going to be taking the game one. It's usually, and I retweeted a graphic from a guest on the show, Joseph Hefner. Uh, you can check it out on my page at Patent Analytics or at his, I think he's Joseph Heffy uh, on Twitter. But it pretty much shows that like from the final 53 that we're seeing this Tuesday to when we, we start the actual NFL season, there's usually about two or three guys that'll switch. So expect mm-hmm. a little bit, like you said, a little bit transition. There's injuries, or maybe they do cut and grab a guy, like you said, off another team that'll kind of make the 53. Right. So because like a thousand-ish players became available today, I think there it's reasonable to expect that there's going to be at least two to three guys that uh, change around between now and next Tuesday. But uh, with that in mind, I wanted to run by you that we currently have seven receivers on our 53 and five tight ends. So for the receivers, we have DJ Chark, Terrace Marshall, Jonathan Mingo, Adam Thielen, uh, LaVisca Chenault. We traded for Amir Smith-Marset this morning. And or it might have been a guy that night. you called after training yep. Called it. Derek Wright is currently on the 53. I hope he sticks uh, until next week. He's the guy that just had a ton of rapport with Bryce Young. And you need that for, for your rookie QB. You want a guy that he trusts. And he's a guy that was able to play the slot, play a little bit outside. So I'm really excited with that. And I also wanted to touch on the Smith-Marset trade. He's a guy uh, coming out of Iowa. That's a real, like maybe the only real Iowa receiver ever. Uh, he's a huge burner. He can play all three positions. Uh, good returner as well. I think he's going to bring a ton huge. of value. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think if we do end up cutting one of these receivers, it's going to be between Wright and Chenault. And I honestly would prefer that we keep Wright. I think we've seen the limits of what Chenault can do. Um, he's not really a, a downfield route. I, I, uh, I downfield guess route runner. the biggest yeah. thing with Chanel is that you have like a few big plays throughout the season where he's going to get 20 plus yards. And so that that's always right. nice. And you wonder if Derek Wright has that in the bag, but exactly like you said, the consistency, the route running, it's not there. Well, what I think is that now this isn't like a negative comp by any means, but I think Jonathan Mingo is a guy who can do a lot of what uh Chanel can do. And he did that a lot at Ole Miss. He lined up in the wing, which is uh, something you don't Wide receiver see. Wide receivers. It, mm-hmm. I yep, think, and there's... with his body type, he's the guy that can take a screen or something and like knock over a few guys and get a, like five or ten extra yards. So I think there might be a bit of redundancy there. And I would obviously prefer to keep Mingo, and I know you would too, over Chenault. Um, yeah, we currently have five tight ends as well. Uh, Hayden Hurst, uh, Ian Thomas, Tommy Trimble, Steven, Steven Sullivan, and Giovanni Ricci. Uh, we know that Reich likes the tight ends. I, I don't know about keeping five on the roster, though, because um, we currently only have four corners as well. We, so I think that we, we may end up cutting one of those tight ends yeah. and, yeah, sign a cornerback. And that's that's probably yeah. where you want to see cuts if we're going to bring in two or three new guys with all these new players now available. Absolutely. Um 
the last kind of thing I wanted to touch on here, other than currently only have four corners, it's uh, JC, Dante, CJ Henderson, and Troy Hill listed. We will be, we will be bringing in corner depth. I'm not concerned about that at all. But the, um, the last thing I really wanted to touch on with the 53 is that there are currently six outside backers slash edge rushers listed. Those are Burns, uh, YGM, Marquis Haynes, Justin Houston, DJ Johnson, Amari Barno. Like all people we expected, right? Yep. And then for the defensive line, now I know this was a big topic because we cut people like Marquan McCall, Raquan Williams, people we thought could be on that, like be that starting nose tackle. McCall, McCall yep. had health concerns. He didn't pass his mm-hmm. physical in New England. That, that was a large reason why we saw him depart. I think otherwise he would have been a phenomenal nose tackle. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Raquan Williams is a guy that I was high on. A couple beat writers were high on, but he did end up being cut today. So for our defensive line, there are five people listed. Uh, four listed as defensive tackle, one as defensive end, but uh, they're all going to be between that five and three tech spot, in my opinion. We have Derek Brown, Shai Tuttle, Deshaun Williams. Those are the obvious ones. And then the two, the other two are Nick Thurman, a guy who was able to play five tech and three tech. He's he's showing a bit in camp. I didn't know too much about him, so I had to look look up some of his camp stuff. And then LeBrian Ray a former Alabama defensive uh, tackle. He had that sack. He actually, for the Patriots last uh, preseason, sacked, I believe it was Darn or Matt Corral in the back of the end zone. And he also had a sack versus the Giants when we played them this season. So he stuck to the 53 as well. So we, end up, we have like 11-ish edge and defensive line guys, which I think is a good amount. But other than that, like, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty content with the roster. I, I do. I would like a uh, some corner depth, and I think that'll come at the expense of a tight end or receiver, and then a bruiser back would be nice. But other than that, like I think the fifty three looks pretty good. Yeah. Now during the break between the preseason and regular season, we're going to have a special predictions episode next week. We'll go over our picks to different awards, playoff predictions, as well as more dubious predictions like worst teams. So stay tuned for how the season shakes out.